CoinRobe Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRobe Plus at CoinRobePlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinRobe Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. The Coin World Podcast is delighted to be back again for another episode. I'm Jeff Stark. I'm Larry Jewett. And we are going to talk all about commemorative coins today. It's... um. You know, commemorative coins of of the U.S. are a fun little area because they they are a chance to explore what makes this country special and and different. And there's all sorts of great designs, especially if you go back into the classic era. Uh, that's the subject of our interview with David Massey, who is a I would say renowned, but hopefully this gives him a little more renown. Uh, shines a light on his efforts. David Massey, a collector out of San Antonio, Texas, got that interview coming up in just a bit. And uh, of course, the usual foray into uh, things past and present uh, numismatically. Yeah, we appreciate your support and uh, listening to our podcast here as we strive to provide as much information as we can to help your own journey here. So thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And thanks for being there on a regular basis. We just had the most recent download statistics and starting to tick up a little bit here. I mean, obviously, the weather in some parts of the country is uh, driving people inside to uh, spend more time doing things inside. And hopefully that includes, regardless of what you're doing, you don't have to sit there and listen to the podcast because there's no test at the end of it. But uh, you can listen to it while you're doing something else, like, you know, grooming the dog or doing dishes or, you know, some have said that, uh, you know, the activities that they do, this podcast makes that activity go a little faster. So I think, you know, with those of us sitting down to do our taxes, I think I'm going to be listening to the podcast, even though I'm on it, while I'm doing my taxes. Uh, that way I've got something to, you know, to point to when I make the mistake and get myself that $5,000 refund I'm not deserving. I, I'm going to wait as long as possible because I am certain I will owe and I don't want to turn that money in any second earlier than it. I have to. Well, I just I know that I'm going to owe. So that's why I'm stockpiling Lincoln cents with the shield on the back, just so that I have enough to pay the bill when the time comes. I'm going to have at least one Brinks truck ready to go so that I can go ahead and have it delivered directly to the local IRS office because I, I really think that they'll they'll want to use the money that I send to them. But uh, I'm going to get away from the frivolity here and talk a little bit about the commemoratives that uh, we're going to get into with David Massey a little later on. And the reason why we chose this particular subject is it has been on the pages of Coin World here recently is uh, our managing editor, William T. Gibbs, has written about it a couple of times. In fact, he just recently added a story in the February issue on page 10 that uh, talks about the fact we talked earlier about the fact that we didn't have any 2023 commemoratives planned first time in many, many years. Well, there's an organization out there would like to 
put it in the fast lane, so to speak, and that's the uh, Numismatic Industry Coinage Advisory Committee of the National Coin and Bullion Association. And they uh, gave an idea that there could be two 2023 commemoratives, two programs, one about endangered species because the uh, anniversary of the Endangered Species Act is coming up. And the other one is for NASCAR because the anniversary of the founding of the National Association of Stock Car Auto Racing is coming up. Now, I know there are certain parts of the country. It used to be it was only a southern sport, but now it's getting all around. It's even competed in Mexico and Canada. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure yet how I feel about that. Because well, a, lot of time, a lot of yeah, a lot of times the commemorative coin programs are marginal in terms of it. And that was one of the biggest criticisms from some of the earlier programs. And I would think that something in a specialized sport, and I understand that, you know, we've had Olympic sports involved in them, but I'm not so sure that I'm all for the Endangered Species Act. I think that's important. That touches on all humanity, but you're either a race fan or you're not. And so I just don't know. Another part of their proposal. So, was, so should should there be a, a $3 coin with Dale Earnhardt on it? No, no. It <laughs> comes no. out in April. Yeah. So, yeah, it might that might play, actually, now you think about it. But they also point out they'd like to see the uh, see the amount doubled. That is the uh, surcharge. Yeah, would be doubled to uh, $20. And already I know enough collectors without knowing a bunch of collectors that would balk at that right off the bat because they're not big fans of the surcharge as it is. So we'll see how that all plays out here. And I mean, there are some who are going to be behind that. That's great. I mean, that's what we have in this game. I like the looks of commemorative coins. I have a few of them myself. I have some friends who have some moderns and some, uh, you know, the originals. So, I mean, they're great because it opens up more opportunities for design variants. And that's that's the big thing that appeals to me, the idea of design variants. But I just don't know how a stock car and which one do they choose? Do they go with the Petty Plymouth? Do they go with the, uh, you know, the Bill Elliott uh, Thunderbird? What do they go with here? You know, what does what makes sense and how many can you put on the coin? They go with the one that Bill Francis or whoever it was used in the. 20s to outrun the revenuers. Speaking uh, of- it, that was the 40s, but yeah, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> and and so- I'm not a, a fan necessarily. I just know a little bit about it. And um, it to me, it doesn't rise up to the national importance for a commemorative coin. I, I do wonder from our sister publication uh, and, and that arm of Amos Media, the um, Scott Publishing and Lynn Stamp News, I wonder if NASCAR will be on a stamp. That would make more sense, I think, than uh, a coin. But we'll see. Well, that just begs the joke. Then it would have to be a self-adhering stamp, but uh, uh, because you can't lick it, you can't lick NASCAR. So that's what they say. Yeah. So there you have that. But I mean, in all seriousness here, the proposal, something is better than nothing. I mean, we're already established for some programs in 24. And of course, with the uh, 2026 activity coming up, there's already some movement done there to get some to celebrate the anniversary of the uh, founding of our country here. Those are noble causes. I'm not so sure I'm embracing the four wheel stuff, but I've been wrong before. 
And um, I've been divorced, so I definitely was wrong before. So, hey, there's an Indy car right on the uh, Indiana State Quarter. Sure, there is. Yeah, that makes sense for that, because that's just such a a small thing. And there was no surcharge. I mean, last time I got an Indiana quarter, it only cost me 25 cents. So, I mean, there have been cars on and we featured cars on coins in the past. So, I mean, there have been cars on coins. So I'm I'm not against that. I just don't know how it's going to look and if it's going to be appealing enough to attract some of the fans are already being targeted. You know, if they go to the races, they're targeted by countless drivers, trailers and all kinds of material that, uh, you know, that the organization or the uh, sponsor of the particular. Uh, I mean, you know, when I raced, my car number was 56. And that happens to be the number that NASCAR uses on all of their apparel because that's the number they own. I didn't do it because they owned the number, but it just worked out that way. So that made things more appealing to me because it had my car number on it. But that's not going to be an appeal here. We're, I mean, we're wandering so far off the tub, the subject. We're in the pits. Hey, but yeah, but look, I, I, you know, it's, it's good to have a discussion about worthy commemorative coin topics because there's certainly been some themes I'm looking at U1936 Cincinnati Music Center <laughs> that that you know don't exactly compute as a a national topic. Uh, I do find the timing unfortunate because we're already in 2023, and given the uh, I won't say regulatory, but given the oversight process that you know with the Citizens Commemorative you know or Citizens Coinage Advisory Committee and and all that. Um, it would be a, a tough job to come out with 2023 commemoratives this late in the game. Uh, you know, if they came out, it would have to be in December. And, and I think the, the men's calendar is probably already busy enough uh, at the end of the year, getting ready for next year production of bullion and other things. And, uh, you know, the collector pocketbooks might not be as receptive uh, given, you know, uh, holiday buying and all that. So I don't know. It, it's um, it'd be nice to see endangered species coins. Uh, that's something that could be an evergreen. You know, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have to tie to the uh, the anniversary of of the act. But um, you know, it, good good luck on getting either of those through. So. Yep. And uh, I think that, you know, the whole idea is because this would be the first year in many. I think it was like 86 was uh, when it all began. But, uh, you know, just the idea that they don't want commemorative coins to become endangered species as well. So good on them for trying something, but I'm not sure that it's going to resonate. But I do know what resonates, and that is whenever we venture back into time here on the Coin World podcast and take a look at some of the events that help shape this hobby or business, whatever you wish. And you as the sleuth that you are tend to find things that are quite interesting. So I'm curious as to what you landed for this time in January. So I could go the easy route and pick something that's related to a commemorative coin, but I had already veered towards something else that I thought was real interesting. So I'm going to stick with that. Uh, We're going back to January 25th, 1815. So 208 years ago, that was when the New York City Common Council 
paid a J. Hayes, that's J. Period Hayes, uh, presumably a man, $50 for detecting counterfeit municipal small change bills. And I, you know, that's, as far as things we've highlighted on this week in numismatic history, that's not exactly, you know, groundbreaking. That's not something that changed the course of numismatic history. But but what stuck out to me was this was 1815, and this person was paid $50 to detect counterfeit money. And I go, $50 in 1815 had to be an enormous sum, absolutely crazy amount. They would only have spent that money if it was worth it. So there must have been a lot of counterfeits out there, even in small change bills, which I presume are, you know, little like, uh, you know, 25 cent, five cent, one and a half cent, whatever, uh, little pieces of paper, almost like tickets or tokens. Uh, that was just, that was astonishing to me to think about, you know, that obviously counterfeiting is, is a, you know, the second oldest profession. And, um, you know, here it was 208 years ago, it was that big of a deal that New York City had to pay somebody what amounted to, you know, maybe $1,000 today. I don't know, a, a very large amount. Wow. Wow. You're good. I mean to tell you now, because yeah. I just looked it up on a website called officialdata.org, and $50 in 1815 is equal to, in 2023, $963.63. Wow, <laughs> that was, well, I, I overshot it a little bit. You know, we are, uh, you know, the last year's been, you know, rather inflationary, but, um you know, yeah, to me, like 50 bucks back then, that was a lot of money. And, and you know, now I hear 963 today and I go, that's not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to know that 963 is the new 50. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So but but, you know, to me, that that's again, that speaks to how big of a deal it was back then no you know was, was this the the launch of a the bullion program or you know the bicentennial coin no but to me uh sometimes you can find lessons in even the um the smallest of moments and and that's what i took from that event 208 years ago january 25th 1815 well, you say smallest of events, but it was a big deal back then. And it was a big deal that, you know, understanding counterfeiting and that type of thing, which is still a problem 208 years later. So just the idea that's an important subject in the numismatic world. But we're going to go now into the mid-1970s. I think this predates you, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you know, looking at this week in Coin World history, uh, our discussion with David Massey, he, he mentions his beginning of the hobby, his, his early entry to the hobby, as happening in the mid-70s. So I went to the January 22nd, 1975 issue of Coin World. And what was the big news back then? Uh, it's fun to see. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine a world where in the U.S. where you couldn't own gold, but um, until very recently at that time of publication, 
you could not own gold. And the story in this issue was how sales of gold coins and metals were uh, receiving quite the reception, a warm reception. The, uh, the lead to the article reads, starved and frustrated by the prohibition against owning late-date gold coins for more than four decades, collectors have virtually stampeded in their eagerness to own the very latest gold coin struck. This is the 100 Valboa gold piece, the first specimen of which came off the press at the Franklin Mint in Franklin Center, Pennsylvania, right after the stroke of midnight on December 31. Now, uh, these coins could still be ordered at the time of this publication for another week. Uh, the, the article goes on to recount how similar gratification was reported by Medallic Art Company over its initial gold medal venture commemorating the inauguration of President Gerald Ford. The entire issue of 1,500 medals was sold out, a Medallic Art spokesman said, even before they could be offered in the numismatic press. So, you know, we've talked about inaugural medals on this show before. Uh, the circumstances surrounding the Ford medal were, you know, I won't say unique because, you know, it's not the first time um, you had a president leave office during their term. I mean, I'm looking, you know, at the Kennedy assassination, but um, the, um, uh, this departure of, of uh, Richard Nixon in, uh, what was it, August 8th, 1974? Uh, you were around then, you might remember. I, I remember it was 1974, but I'm not going to quote August 8th. Okay. I, you're, in, you're in the ballpark, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway. Now, uh, I got to look it up. The, the departure of, uh, of President Nixon then, uh, led to the ascension of, of President Ford, which led to the production of these medals. And hey, they were able to offer them in gold uh, because you know gold was now uh, good to own. So I, that was uh, that. That's I always love a good story about uh, medals anyway. But this confluence of events, this uh, you know, the idea that um, all of a sudden gold was legal to own, and boy was the market hot for legal examples of it. I mean, I've heard stories about uh, collectors supposedly ferreting the 1967 Canadian gold uh, centennial coins across the border, and the Mint had to cancel a bunch of orders from Americans because they weren't going to get in trouble with the, the government. And so it that to me is uh, the fun piece that I found out of this issue. What did you find, Larry? Well, there were some great letters back on the letters page, and uh, many of those were surrounding uh, new collectors, one of which that uh, really drew my attention. And the letter did not have a title on it, as they weren't titled back in 75. And it starts, at the risk of being somewhat of a nonconformist, right away that attracted me, I would like to say a few optimistic things about coin collecting today. I am a new collector starting about a year ago. I didn't inherit any coins and, of course, entered the hobby at a time when I could no longer obtain silver from circulation or gold at any affordable price from a lower middle-class income. This did not discourage me. The $10 price tag on Ike Dollars does not discourage me. Even the prices dealers must ask for their merchandise does not discourage me. 
The thing that discourages me is the apparent inability of some of the older collectors and even some novices to change with the times. I enjoy collecting lower-priced items and lower-grade items. I don't lose sleep because all my barber dollars aren't brilliant uncirculated. You must collect what you can afford. Sure, I would love to have a $20 gold piece, but I can't afford one. I can't afford a Mercedes-Benz either, but I enjoy my Pinto. A year ago, I didn't know what a proof set was, but I've read and studied and listened and joined clubs. Until now, I feel I have a better-than-average understanding of the hobby and where we're going from here. Insight provided by more experienced collectors is always welcome, but economic conditions of today have no precedent in history. The social revolution of the 60s has made it a whole new ballgame. I only have a few more comments, then I'll close. I'm really tired of hearing the term ripoff as applied to the men or anything else. There are surely more words in your reader's vocabulary. A look through the letters section will net quite a few uses of the belabored term. I advise all collectors to read everything you can get your hands on concerning your hobby. Grading will always be at the risk of the buyer. This was in 1975. Thus, caveat emptor can never be discarded. Buying a coin sight unseen is risky at least. Still is. I love your letters section as it shows what collectors feel, but I would really like to see all collectors accepting situations as they are today, not 15 or 20 years ago. Thank you for your time. I hope some of my comments will be heard. That was from E. Swanger of Anaheim, California. Especially the uh, last part of it there. I would really like to see all collectors accepting situations as they are not 15 or 20 years ago. And here we are reading something from 1975, 48 years ago, and some of it's still relevant. Well, you know, uh, keen uh, listeners might have heard me cackle at the reference to Puerto Rico. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because of the, um, the, uh, the explosive place in the market that it had. <laughs> Uh, in the 70s, right? Um, yeah, it, it's a, that's a pop culture thing that uh, even generations, like I said earlier, it predates you, but you knew about the Pinto and the problems. So, yeah, yeah. So. And it had, that has nothing to do with your numismatic journey. I mean, I honestly, you know, if I ask you, when was the last time you saw a Ford Pinto? I don't know that I could pick it out. There you go. That's <laughs> but, it. But, you know, I've heard about it. So and and. And I did have to think, uh, you know, I, I thought it was Ralph Nader, but that was the Corvair. That was the unsafe yes. at any speed. But unsafe, anyway. unsafe at any speed. So yes. We're talking about auto, automobiles here a lot today. Aren't we, though? <laughs> well, that, that is your forte. But anyway, <laughs> hey, um, you know, I, I proved to recognize the connection there uh, with the Pinto. Now it's up to me to put you to the test with our trivia from the last episode before our holiday hiatus. Uh, and uh, I think you'll get this. This is a, this is an easy, it would be a, a not an expert level. It would be a, a beginner or, you know, your common average, whatever level in the coin roll trivia game. Uh, when we spoke with Winston Zach, we talked about, uh, I made reference to his first book, which mentioned uh, one of the most popular and common types of counterfeit Jefferson nickels. And I wanted to know what 
this was, to what I was referring and how you tell the difference between these pieces and legitimate pieces. So uh, what, pray tell, was I asking about? I think it was actually mentioned in the interview. I think we're talking about the Henning nickel. You got it. Yep. And it was a weight thing, wasn't it? Wasn't it a... uh... Oh, the the mint mark. Yes, right. It didn't. It, the missing mint mark was one of the contributions that people use. And I also think that there was a weight situation. You know, when in doubt, weigh it out. So yeah, there, there was there. There are some dye diagnostics as well, which you know I wasn't really asking about that. But but you're absolutely right. The Henning nickel um, is to what I was referring, and uh, Henning nickels do actually um, often weigh uh, slightly heavier than the legitimates of the time. So uh, very good. You, you you got it. You nailed it. Good good for you. Now, We, um, if you're playing along at home, uh, test yourself. See if you were able to answer that as, um, as well as Larry was. And I have a, a new question for you, Larry, and the listeners. Uh, we talked to David. Massey, and he mentions, uh, or we mention, I think, in the discussion that he's he's one coin away from finishing his collection of early commemoratives, 146 pieces. I believe that includes those um, Norse medals. Um, and the piece he's missing is a Grant Star. So I want to know, what is a Grant Star commemorative? What does that mean? What am I talking about? How do I differentiate this? from whatever else uh, it's referring to. And um, what was the mintage of, of that piece, which is that sort of a, you know, okay, who cares? But I, I, I will answer next week how that compares to the, the other thing that may be in play here. And um, yeah, so pull out your red book, pull out your coin rolled almanac, uh, figure out what it is that, um, you know, where where that might be located and get ready to answer that question next week. I don't think we talk about it in the interview, but you'll have to listen closely. Here is our interview with David Massey, all about early commemorative coinage. The Coin World Podcast is delighted today to talk about the wonderful series of classic commemorative coins, uh, and we're doing so with an expert, a collector who's, I, I don't know, I, I don't even know the answer to some of these questions, which is sometimes a bad thing. Uh, you know, in, in legal settings, the lawyer is supposed to know the answer to the question before they ask it. I totally don't know the answer to the question, but David Massey, who is a collector out of San Antonio, Texas, he is going to deliver the answers and explain uh the whole early classic commemorative series and how one might collect those. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. So I want to talk about, we'll get into the um, classic commemoratives, which, um, you know, 1892 to 1954, but uh, I'm guessing that probably wasn't what got you into the hobby to begin with. Can you talk about your uh, journey into the hobby before we transition into the, the commems? Well, sure. I was uh, in middle school and one of my neighborhood uh, friends 
was collecting coins and showed me his collection. And the next thing I know, we were riding the bikes to the bank and going through quarters and nickels and rolls and half dollar rolls. This was in the mid 1970s. And, and from there, I would bug my mom or dad to take me to the local coins shop and the local coin shows. And, and that's how I started collecting coins is, uh, you know, mostly things out of circulation, but I had a paper route and I'd save up my money and, and, you know, I would spend $10 at the, at the local coin show, maybe once a month. Uh, was there any silver still in circulation? Yes. Back, back in the, in the mid seventies, if I went through a roll of quarters, I could probably find maybe one quarter half dollar rolls. I could find several 40% silver. So, I mean, they, it wasn't abundant, but it wasn't that scarce. If you look for it and you searched for it, you could find silver. Definitely. Do you remember what what was your best circulation find in in that uh, time? You know, well, there wasn't any rarity that I found, but I did come across apparently someone had turned in a bunch of rolls at my local bank, and and I got quite a few. They were old worn, but I got Walking Liberty half dollars and Benjamin Franklin half dollars, and I had got several rolls of circulated all almost all of them were silver half dollars and i remember how excited i was about that yeah very exciting so uh mid 70s when did you did you you know i i think it was popular probably then still to do the uh the whitman folders lincoln oh yes whitman folders and then i graduated into the whitman classics okay Uh, those are the the ones with the sliding pockets. yes exactly okay uh when did you transition into something else, maybe commemoratives? I mean, what was that that path like? Well, as a as a teenager and then in, into my early twenties, I would attend coin shows. I attended a couple A and A coin shows, and uh, you know the the shows that I could go to, I would go to all of them, and. You know, I would look at the commemoratives. I remember I bought a few of them back then. I bought some organs also, but I couldn't really afford the really nice coins. So I was buying circulates. But I, I, I think I was attracted to commemoratives because they were so unique and had some really cool and interesting designs to them. And, you know, that's I that's was my introduction to collecting commemoratives and to collecting coins. But I, I have to say though, mid to late eighties, I put my collection aside and it pretty much stayed uh, in a closet for about 30 years. And only just several years ago, did I pull it out and kind of get the bug again. And, and, and I've been really obsessed, I guess, with collecting first, you know, the last few years. And that's, that's when I really, got started on the commemoratives because now I was able to afford some of the coins that I could only dream about when I was younger. So what were some of the first commemoratives that you picked up that you had from the earlier days that before you regenerated your collection? Well, I still have that coin. It was a circulated Stone Mountain uh, half dollar. Uh, I gave that to, I have a 19-year-old son. I gave that to him a few years ago. Uh, hoping to spark some collecting interest in him. He still has it. Matter of fact, we talked about that in a few other coins here a few weeks back. 
but it was the Stone Mountain was my first one. And I know I remember I bought a Lincoln and a Cleveland, maybe four or five other of the lesser expensive uh, half dollars that I bought. And I held on for many, many held those coins for decades, actually. Uh, and, you know, again, it was in recent years that I really picked up my commemorative collecting, but the Stone Mountain one has always been, I guess, a little bit special to me. And I was in Virginia at that time. So, the you know, the Civil War battlefields were always close by. Sure. Uh, at what point did you uh, transition from just collecting one of each to adding some sort of uh, condition qualifiers and, and finding things that are, you know, maybe a little more guided by eye appeal and grade and all that. Well, when I, when I started collecting again uh, in 2019, um, you know, I had some experience from collecting for 10 to 15 years earlier. So I, I knew that I had a pretty good eye. So that came back pretty quick. Uh, I knew that I wanted higher grade, nice, nicer coins, coins that I, I could be kind of proud of. Uh, so I started, my goal at that point was to put together the 50 set uh, in all MS67 or MS66. There's a few coins that are hard to get in those grades, but I wanted to put together the highest graded set that I could find. And then with time, I sometimes would come across a coin that just was so pretty, even though it wasn't an MS67, maybe it was an MS65. And I would pick it up and I'd buy it and I'd sit it in my binder next to my higher graded coins. And my eyes oftentimes would go to the coin that wasn't the highest graded. It was the one with the prettier toning, the color, some unique characteristics that just had better eye appeal. And so what I've been doing over the years, I'm always adding to my collection, but I'm swapping out coins. If I see one, I like it better then you know, I'll pick it up and, and maybe sell or trade uh, one of my existing ones. It sounds like in your first iteration, you relied on coin shows a lot for your acquisition. When you came back into collecting in 2019, do you still use coin shows as your primary source? I love I love coin shows. So I, I try to go to coin shows, but I would have to say it, it's just too hard to be a, you know, the, the big coin shows that, are, that I've been going to are fun in A&A, then the Texas Numismatic uh, Association is a good show. There's a, a good show here in uh, Houston, a few hour drive from me that I'll be going to the Houston Money Show. So I go to the shows. I, I'm able to get coins at coin shows. But I'm online. I have relationship with dealers now, so I'll go to their websites. I some dealers will know what I'm looking for and will send me a text and say, "Hey, Dave, are you interested in this coin?" Uh, I follow the auction sites, the Heritage Stack uh, Bowers, Great Collections, Legends. I've bought from all of them, so it's wherever I see the coin that I like. If the price is right, then I will attempt to acquire it. And you you mentioned uh, um, a few minutes ago something about one of each of 50 types. That's the 48 half dollars, the Isabella quarter and the Lafayette dollar. Exactly. And then I also include, even though it's 
not it's number 51, the Norse medal. I, I tend to think of that as a commemorative, though officially it's it, it maybe isn't. Yeah, but but a lot of people, uh, as you know, c- consider that uh, as part of the series, and it's often written about in that context. Did you you went from a typeset, one of every design, to then one of all the varieties, the mint marks, the years, and all that? That's 146 items, I think. 146, if you count the Norse medals, that's correct. I two versions I, of the Norse medal. That's right, thick and thick. Yeah. So, so when did you when did you go? Okay, I've 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 crossed this off the list. I've I've summited this peak. Now let's go to the next one. Well, you know, I think what happened was uh, I saw a set of Booker T. Washington, nineteen forty six, the most common of all of them, but it was a PDS set that it was an original holder. They were all rainbow toned, beautiful coins. So I bought all three of them. So I had the PDS set and they were just, I just fell in love with how attractive and how nice it was. And then I found myself buying more PDS sets. So a little sub part of my collecting is I like to collect matching PDS sets, so like 1939 Oregon Trail, the PDS coins, I like to have them all uh, essentially original tone, similar to where they were probably packaged together back in 1939, and they're still together now in my collection. I, so that's how I built my collection up to, I'm at 145. I do not have the Grant Star, but I by I call them sibling sets, the PDS where they're you, they've been together since issuance. Okay, you you mentioned um, th- that you still don't have the Grant Star, uh, but I'm curious to know. Uh, you know, there's plenty of Grant Stars out there. At some point, you added some qualifiers and some. You know, you, you said sixty six, sixty seven. Is that still what you're? No, looking no, for? not on that coin because that coin's very expensive. And, and and I'm not a big fan of the grant. It's not one of my favorite commemoratives. So that coin I'm hoping to find in a 64 would be ideal, maybe a 65, but a 63 to 65 range. I, it, I'm going to require it to be in a PGS holder with a CAC sticker, and it needs to have it needs to be an original coin that I don't think has ever been dipped, that has a little attractive eye appeal to it. I, I saw several Grant Stars at the fun show. I even saw one that had a CAC sticker, but it just didn't feel right for me. And those coins, that's an expensive coin, so I'm going to spend several thousand dollars on it. I'll just be patient until I find one that I know that I will really like versus buying one just to say I have it. Are you a little bit surprised that this is the one, the one coin that you're having the most difficulty with? Uh, I postponed looking for it. I didn't really start looking for it until about a year ago. Uh, but I don't know that I'm surprised, no, because uh, my regular grant, it, it's a nice coin, but it it's not one of my favorites. So I don't 
I've never been one to be out searching a whole lot for the grant coins because it just doesn't grab me. Uh, so I'm not surprised. Plus, being it's one of the more expensive coins, it, it just never was high on my radar. And it is now, but only, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to rush out and make a rash decision because I don't want to buy one and then have buyers remorse and regret it and end up selling it at a loss in order to replace it with another one. Now, David, what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's interested in following a similar path that you've been following here, uh, collecting classic commemoratives? What kind of advice would you give an important lesson for someone? Well, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who collect commemoratives, and I, uh, I think patience. I see a lot of people, and I'm gu- I've been guilty of it myself, but be patient. Don't just buy the first MS-65, you know, Hawaiian that you see because that's the coin you're focused on right now. Uh, Know exactly what you're looking for. Be patient for it because with patience, you'll find it. And in the meantime, look around, you know, uh, because what I've seen with a lot of my friends is they'll buy a coin and then six months later, they'll realize, you know, I wish I hadn't bought that one. And then they sell it and they look for another one. And, and a lot of times when you sell the coin, you don't you don't always get your money back out of it. So I would tell people to be patient, know what you're looking for and wait until you find it. And and while while you're looking for that one, maybe you'll see, you know, being that there's 50, if you're collecting the 50 set, which is what most people do. You know, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of them out there that you can be looking for simultaneously. You don't have to be looking just for the grant this week. You could be looking across uh, 20 different varieties. And if you see just one or two that you like, then add those one or two. And then you still got the other 18 you're looking for. You mentioned you have a lot of friends. Uh, what What is the community like? Is there a group? Is there, uh, you know, a social media group or anything where you well, all keep in touch? There is on Facebook, there's a lot of coin collecting social media groups, but there's one specific one that I'm referring to for commemoratives, which is the commemorative uh, sales and insight community. And I think there's about 1800 members Mm -hmm. uh, who are regularly posting pictures of the coins that they've acquired or uh, offering coins for sale um, questions. And through that group, um, I've made quite a few friends because we have very similar interests. Matter of fact, it was through a friend that I met in that group uh, who pointed out Larry to me on Saturday. And I said, oh, that, that's Larry. Let me go over and introduce myself. But it was a person from a, a fellow commemorative collector, Larry, who pointed you out to me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, David Hollister. So that, yes. that's, that's the Commemorative Coin Club Sales and Insight Community. That's correct. Uh, I that's do want to ask you, you talked about, you know, Larry asked about the, is it, you know, hard to imagine this is your last one or whatever. I've heard it said, and I don't know, I, I, I guess I want to ask your advice on this. I've heard that you should start with the toughest ones first. Is that what you did or is that what you maybe you would do differently if you didn't go that route initially? Well, uh, I don't know that there's a right or wrong way. I 
I did buy some of the tougher ones first because I they were available to me. I like I know the Hawaiian. A lot of people consider yeah. the Hawaiian as being maybe the most difficult. Yeah, that's a yeah. stopper. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the first ones I acquired when I started collecting commemoratives, which was oh, it was probably close to three years ago. It just so happens there was a, a auction, a heritage had a auction. It was only commemoratives, and there were a lot of fantastic coins that night. And I I bought several and I kind of feel like, okay, wow, I, I got a really good one right at the beginning when I started my collecting journey. And, and I've never needed to look to buy another or replace it because I did well with my first acquisition. So um, I just think you, you should buy it when you see the one that's right for you. Assuming you can afford it, you know, economically, it's it, everything adds up. But I don't know that there's a right or wrong by the right coin when you see it. What's um, what's your thoughts about? Um, I mean, you're you're close, and I I don't I use close in quotation marks because you only have one coin, but it may take a year for it to pop up. Who knows? Hopefully not. Uh, but what next then? Do you go for? Uh, what do you think about a? Um, <laughs> a um, lowball set of commemoratives. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually bought a few lowball commemoratives, but then it, they didn't hold my interest. So I ended up selling them. Once I finish and I have all 146, what I, I know I will do is I'm, because I'm drawn to the coins, I will always be looking at them. And I'm sure there will be times where I will see something that I'll go, you know what, that one, I like it better than the one I have. And I'll, I'll probably always be swapping out uh, some commemoratives here and there. And uh, very soon you have on your horizon then the Houston show. And then who knows? That's right. The Houston show is in two weeks. Uh, after that, I don't know when the next show that I will go to. I'll get online and I'll you know, look for coin shows in Texas. And I know that in August, the ANA is in Pittsburgh and you know, there's a good chance I'll go to that show. I know the Texas Numismatic Association show will be in June. I'm pretty certain I'll go to that show, but I don't know what other shows I'll be going to this year. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, if you get to the uh, Pittsburgh, the ANA, we'll get to uh, meet up there. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time today sharing your journey and and lessons you've learned and uh, there's we we could have spoken for an hour really i mean there's so much nuance and fun to the classic commemorative series um but uh you know we want to respect your time and and thank you again and uh, let you go all right well it was my pleasure and uh you guys have a great day and um thanks for inviting me it was like i said it was my pleasure Thank you, David. And that was our interview with David Massey. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that and learned a lot and um, got some, some good insights as to potential collecting paths uh, from him. Uh, we thank him for sharing his experience with us. And indeed, David has, you know, the idea of putting things together. You heard about his collecting journey and how he finally settled in 
on the uh, early commemoratives here. So, I mean, it's, in some ways, it probably parallels a lot of your own experiences here. And so it's great to have that opportunity to talk to him. We wish him well on his search to complete his collection. We would thank you for taking the time to be here with us as we had another episode of the great Coin World podcast coming your way here. We thank uh, those who've been supporting us from the get-go as, man, it seems like, you know, we're coming up on what, four years here pretty soon or yeah. something? Yeah, wow. I didn't imagine, you know, I, I don't think they can vote us out after four years. So hopefully we can uh, continue to provide the education and we welcome your suggestions as well. So thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate everything everybody does out there to keep this Coin World podcast running strong. Absolutely. And until next time, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about Coin World Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.